2: Welcome to the Lords Podcast with Will Rowe. Well, welcome to this month's Lords Podcast. I'm very pleased to be joined by former England captain and Sky cricket commentator Andrew Strauss, along with Wisden editor and Daily Mail cricket writer Lawrence Booth. Welcome, both. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Good to see you both. Now, we have a packed podcast with plenty to discuss as the English season gets underway. We'll look at all things England, and my guests will pick their starting 11 for the West Indies Tour. With the latest edition of Whiz and Out, we'll look at the state of the game, ask where did England go next, and pour over comments made by incoming ECB chairman Colin Graves on the future of Test cricket. To finish, I'll put Andrew Lawrence's knowledge to the test with the podcast quiz. But first, I'd like to ask some questions to you, Andrew, that have come in from listeners using the hashtag AskStrauss um, on Twitter. Uh, the first one's from Sean Wilson. What was the most important innings in your career? Nice, easy one to start. Yeah, That's a good question.
0: I I mean, I I think you always look at kind of, you know, from a personal point of view or a team point of view. the, The one that stands out for me was the 100 I got in the first innings of the Oval Test match in the 2005 Ashes series.
2: This one's from Sport and Heritage. The World Cup got good press here in the USA. What needs to happen to grow cricket in North America Happy to bring you in here, Lawrence.
1: Wow, my specialist subject. Um, well, there's a, there's a huge uh, subcontinental diaspora, isn't there, in uh, North America. So uh, if they can uh, target the, the Indian, the Pakistani and Sri Lankan expats who live on um, both coasts, especially the west coast, I think, then they, they've got a good chance. Um, uh, I think there's, some, there's a big Caribbean contingent in Florida as well so there there is a possibility there. So maybe get them watching the IPL and the Caribbean Premier League? Absolutely. There you go. Um, Ryan
2: Bradshaw asks what did you learn on the MCC tour to Namibia back in 2001? Um, That's a good question I learned there's some very good beer in Namibia (laughs) um,
0: which I thoroughly enjoyed Um, and also actually I learned um, about how fantastic those MCC tours are they're combining professional cricketers with uh, very good amateur cricket against some excellent cricketers from other parts of developing parts of the world um it was an absolute privilege to be on that tour
2: lovely stuff uh manjoy Bahalarahu, i think that's how it's pronounced apologies if that's wrong what is your favorite indian cricket ground and why uh well that's
0: a that is another good question I, you know i i think I mean, I personally love the the Brayborn Cricket Stadium in Mumbai, the CCI. Uh, that that's a kind of relic of the colonial past, and it's a little bit more smaller and more intimate than some of the big kind of uh, big concrete kind of coliseums you have there. So yeah, I, I think as a
2: traditional cricket ground in India, that's my favourite. Lovely stuff. Uh, the cricket badger asks, "Who are you tipping in the IPL, and would you have fancied a season of it?" Uh,
0: I would have loved the many seasons of it. Unfortunately, my style of play is, is not conducive to the IPL in any way, shape or form. Um, who am I tipping for the IPL? Well, that's a very good question. I, you know, I think it's always hard to look past the Chennai Super Kings. Uh, yeah, they've been very consistent over a long period of time and I don't see it being any different this year.
1: Lawrence, have you got yeah, a team? I would go with that as well. Dhoni seems to know how to win games in the last over by himself. So, um, yeah, CSK all the way. I'd like to ask the next question to the two of you. Uh, this
2: comes in from Mia. Who do you think is going to win the county championship? Um, again, another fool's game predicting
0: the, the win of the, the county championship. I mean, Yorkshire look very strong on paper, I think. It depends how many players they lose to the England team over the course of the summer. Uh, on paper, they're definitely the strongest in the division.
1: Yeah, I, I think that, that will be crucial for Yorkshire. I think Sussex are worth a look. Um, Ed Joyce will be there the whole time. Uh, McGoffin takes wickets for fun, and they've, they've made a couple of good signings, Timor Mills and Ajmal Shazad, so I'll be looking out for them.
2: Next question from
1: Neil Harris. Why are ex-England players so reluctant to get into coaching?
2: Uh, well, I, I think...
0: That's an interesting question. I I wouldn't say that people aren't interested in getting into coaching. Um, You know, Paul Collingwood seems to be going down that route at the moment. Um, But 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 ultimately, you know, coaching is a is a big commitment for a player, and it's got to be right for for the player from a a kind of I suppose a a personal perspective as well as anything. I I mean, I, I think coaching is a is a great way in which England players can give something back to the game. Um, But also, they shouldn't be arrogant enough just to assume they're going to be great coaches because they're excellent players. And and so going through the the coaching qualifications and all all that sort of stuff and doing your time is important.
2: Jenny asks, who do you think, or what do you think, was the key element that marked the Strauss-Flower era? Um, I would have said that
0: we... Got a, We were very fortunate with a, a very talented group of players, but um, we had a very clear um, focus as to how we were going to play our cricket, and we had a very, very strong team environment. The, the way people connected and uh, pushed in the same
2: direction made us a team that was bigger than the sum of our parts. Richard Shelley asks, Is mental strength or toughness more important than technique in moving from county to test cricket?
0: Uh, absolutely yeah I mean mental strength toughness is the difference between being a good cricketer and a not very good one and also the difference between being a good one and a great one you know I think uh, we probably don't focus on it enough and we focus too much on technique especially in this country Um, you need to have a method of keeping good balls out and you need to know your game well Uh, the rest of it it's all mental
2: and finally, who's the best player you've played with? That one from George McCormick.
0: Well, uh, I would have to say Kevin Peterson in terms of being able to do things that other cricketers couldn't. Um, in the England side, while I was involved, he was the the one guy that stood out for me. Um, I think the most underrated cricketer that I played with was Paul Collingwood. You know, how much he gave to the team Uh, His ability to play the right innings at the right time and his influence on the dressing room um, never came out in his actual figures at the end of the day.
2: Lovely stuff. Well, thanks to everyone for sending in their questions on Twitter. Now I'd like to turn my attention to the England v West Indies series. Uh, Before the two-match home test series to New Zealand and the Ashes this summer, England start their test year with a three-match away series in the West Indies, Alistair Cook heads up a 16-man squad in the Caribbean, which includes Yorkshire batsman Adam Lythe and Durham Seam bowler Mark Wood, both getting their first call-up to an England squad. Yorkshire spinner Adil Rashid, who has played a handful of one days for the national side, is also part of that touring party. Now, Andrew and Lawrence, what I'd like you to do now is if you could select from the 16 that England have taken out to the Caribbean, what would be your, sort of your combined 11 or what do you think would be England's strongest 11 out
1: there? Well, I'll I'll read out what I think the batting might be, the top six, and see if Andrew agrees or disagrees. But I'm I'm going with what I think they'll go with, which will be uh, Cook, Trot, Balance, Bell, Root. And then I'm I'm going with Stokes at six for this first test. I think it'd be great to see him given a chance as a batsman. I think he was a bit confused last year. He came in at eight or nine in a couple of the tests, and he made three ducks and things started to fall away from him. So I'd love to see him treated as a proper all-rounder, have him in at six.
0: Yeah, very much so. You know, I think now's the time to see Ben Stokes come of age as a cricketer. Um, he has shown incredible promise, um, but is flattered to deceive up till now. And I think uh, we need to invest in some, some game time in him uh, and allow him to flourish.
2: Do you think he's been a bit hard done by in the fact that it's almost we're not sure whether he's a batsman or a bowler, or the way England have used him? Uh,
0: no, I, I think you know he he is a genuine all-rounder and will be treated as such and should be treated as sh- as such um you know i don't think he can have any real complaints about being left out of the world cup side he got given an opportunity in sri lanka and didn't take it um but at the same time uh like any player you're going to get mentally scarred by being left out of the side too often and that's my point really we we need to invest some time in him um, because he is one of those X-factor players that can change the course of a match. Uh, and they're a little bit kind of thin on the ground in English cricket at the moment.
2: Do you think the, the other player that you both selected is Jonathan Trott's opening with Alistair Cook? Is Do you feel that Adam Leith could maybe be given a chance in that opening berth, or are you both happy with Trott there?
1: Yeah, I mean, Leith may be unlucky on this it looks like they've decided that trot will open with alistair cook live may only get a go with if, if trotty has a complete nightmare in the first two tests but um i, I think they I, I don't blame them for going uh with trot he's got 49 tests under his belt he's averaging in the high 40s he's he's reliable and they need that solidity back at the top of the order especially with with cook not scoring um, 100 for such a long time so i don't blame them for going with trot some people may say it's Unadventurous, but um, he's the kind of guy you, you, you miss more when he's not there, and we've, we've noticed that in the last 18 months. And
2: can I have you 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11? Yeah, well, I'm not 100% <laughs> uh,
0: clear on the bowling options at this stage, and I think, you know, when you're, when you're playing a test series, it's really important to see how people are bowling uh, in the warm up games. But, um, you know, I think Josh Butler comes in at 7 for me. Um, I would then be playing Adil Rashid. Uh, and then it's two seamers out of... Sorry, three seamers out of uh, Anderson, Broad, Jordan and Plunkett for me. Uh, now, there are, there may be some concerns about Stuart Broad's fitness. Um, Liam Plunkett is very much a rhythm bowler and we're not quite sure what his rhythm is at at the moment. Uh, I think we know a little bit more about Chris Jordan... Um, but, you know, ultimately I think this is one of the big questions for English cricket in the next six months or so. Can we get a bowling attack that can take 20 wickets consistently and uh, the seamers against Australia and New Zealand are going to have to match their seamers and that's a pretty big task that those guys have got on their hands. Is
2: that a bit of a worry at the moment, England seam attack ahead of the summer? Well,
1: it's, it's teetering on being a worry. I mean, Stuart Broad limped off. Today in the game after four balls, we don't know what his fitness uh, situation is going to be. But if he breaks down, then a lot rests on Jimmy Anderson um, and Chris Wokes will be back for the summer, we hope. Chris Jordan made some progress towards the end of last summer. But when you look at the depth, the strength and depth the Australian seamers have, it's quite frightening, really. You know, forget Mitchell Johnson, we, we were just talking before the podcast. says Mitchell Starks, had a terrific World Cup. Um, they've got a lot of promising young quicks. So, yes, it's a problem. Um, I kind of think Jimmy will have a good summer. I think he'll swing the ball again and be back to his best. It's what he does best. And Broad, may, he, he may realise his place isn't as safe as he thought it was and may have to prove a point, and that may be good for England. Absolutely.
2: Now, um, the 152nd edition of the Wisden Cricketers' Almanac hits the shelves this week. The Cricketing Bible has once again picked its five Cricketers of the Year they are Gary Balance, Moen Ali, Adam Leith, Gitan Patel, and Angelo Matthews, as well as this. Kumar Sangakkara has been named the leading cricketer in the world, while for the first time, a leading woman cricketer in the world has also been named. That accolade goes to Australia's Meg Lanning. Well, Lawrence, um, could you talk us through the process of, of picking those five and, and how you, and, well,
1: how you got to those? Yeah. Well, I just monitor the summer and um, hope that someone puts their hand up who hasn't already put their hand up, because there are two criteria they can't have been chosen before, and the the emphasis is is on the English summer. So, I mean, I thought from an England perspective, Gary Balance and Moe Ali pretty well picked themselves. Balance scored 300s in his first uh, test season at home, uh, filled the hole that that Trot had left brilliantly, really, averaging 60 by the end of the, the summer. Moeen Ali, there was a lot of concern, wasn't there, about... Would England be able to replace Graham Swan's off breaks? Moen was called a part-timer, but he ended the Indian series with 19 wickets at, at 23, I think it was, and uh, and replaced him brilliantly, and, and also looked the part at times with the bat. I mean, in, in I know this didn't count towards the award, but he got that 72-ball 100 against Sri Lanka and Colombo in a one-day international and and really looked the part. Um, Adam Lyth and Jeetan Patel are in there for their county performances. Live scored 600s and helped Yorkshire to the, the county championship. And Jeetan Patel, um, 107 wickets in all formats for Warwickshire, so he was the leading wicket-taker in the country and, and was the dri- driving force really behind them winning the, the uh, NatWest T20 Blast. Angelo Matthews, captain Sri Lanka, to victory in all three formats. I don't think an overseas captain has done that before in England, uh, so he, he picked himself as well. Is it just you that picks him, or is there a group of you that decides? Well, it's, I, the editor has the final say, so okay. that's was one of the nice perks of the job. I mean, I, I run it past a, a few wisdom colleagues to check that I haven't gone insane and missed someone obvious, or we've already picked someone that I want to pick. Um, but it, ultimately, I can I can um, pull rank, I suppose.
2: Great stuff. And uh, Meg Lanning, leading woman cricketer in the world, can you?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a new award, so we we felt that the growth in women's cricket over the last few years needed reflecting. We've had a couple of. Uh, Women Cricketers of the Year, so um, Claire Taylor and Charlotte Edwards last year have been among the five Wisdom Cricketers of the Year, but we thought, no, it's time to have a a separate Leading Women's Award. Meg was, uh, I think she finished last year top of the T20 and ODI rankings. She captained Australia at the age of 21 to the World 2020 title in Bangladesh. Uh, She looks like a star in the making, so that was a fairly straightforward choice.
2: And the front cover, um you've gone with Moen Ali. I know there's a few few people on the Twitter sphere asking, maybe not Philip Hughes. Could you could you talk us through that decision? I know I know you've explained it already before, but
1: yeah, well, it was an easy decision. I mean we did we did consider Philip Hughes. Um we have to we have to reflect the fact to a degree that the the bulk of our readership is English. Uh Moen Ali was a was a rarity. He was a good news story from English cricket last year, so we we, we thought that We'd go with him. And I've also made a point in my editor's notes about the fact that I don't think English cricket is as good as it should be about harnessing the the South Asian talent within English cricket. So Moeen happens to be a poster boy for that, but look, he wouldn't be on that cover were it not for um, his cricketing deeds. And Andrew, you were Wisdom Cricketer of the Year in 2005.
2: Uh, following that impressive summer where you made your debut in 2004. Uh, it's, it's quite a special accolade because once you've done it once, you can never get it again. But obviously, it's it's quite hard to get there. What 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 was the feeling for you at the time?
1: Yeah,
0: look, I think this is all part of a, a sort of whirlwind 12 months for me, getting into the England team and hitting the ground running. And then, you know, I think this is one of those accolades that you hope at one stage in your career, you do something noticeable enough to be included on this list. And it's a very illustrious list um so for me to for it to happen so quickly to me was a bit of a shock if i'm honest um but you know i I think there's that kind of link with the past it's a little bit like getting your name on the honors board at lords you know or you think of all those kind of those wisdom creators almanacs on people's uh uh, library shelves and to have your name included in one of those is is a very special feeling
2: and and as editor lawrence it's it's quite a big job for you because i'm going to come onto to it now. The notes by the editor section it's kind of it's pulled over by the national press and you've you're almost the rudder of the kind of the cricketing world i guess when you when you make those and 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 you've made some comments in in this this year's wisdom you've taken aim at the e c b in particular the handling of the the Peterson saga. And also said that as a governing body, um, they've repeatedly lost touch with the basic idea that the national team belongs to us all. Um, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, I think the, there's a lot of anger out there among fans. I mean, you have to go on Twitter to sense that, But it's not just Twitter. You, you talk to people as well. But I use the Peterson saga as an example. I, the, the, his sacking was that's a matter of opinion. And I felt at the time, if that's what they thought, then that's, that's fair enough. They, they obviously had their reasons. But I think since then, they they failed to do what they said they'd do, which was uh, give uh, reasons behind the sacking. They said that once the confidentiality clause between the two camps ran out in October, that the truth would become clear. Well, that never happened. And I think that's angered a lot of people, There's, there's taking taking fans for granted a little on that. Um, I think another thing I mentioned in the notes was they had a slightly head-in-the-sands attitude to the one-day team. I think I, I felt that perhaps Alistair Cook shouldn't have been... Uh, almost promised the job for the World Cup and then have it taken away from him uh, so soon before the tournament started. I, I thought he should have probably stepped down as one-day captain. After they'd beaten India in the tests, he could have gone with his stock high, he could have had a few months off, charged his batteries for 17 tests in 10 months, which is what they got, and given Owen Morgan a greater run at that World Cup. He didn't get it, and England had a, another disaster. Um, there's one more point which, which which I made in the notes, which was about the, the drop in recreational playing numbers, um, and I, I wonder whether this has something to do with the fact that cricket is still uh, behind a satellite paywall. Effectively, unless you have Sky TV, you can't uh, you can't get regular access to live cricket, and I think that's very important.
2: Where do England go from here? Because what you've just been saying, and what I think the general kind of consensus is, is they're not in a great place, um, but you know, there's, there's almost a blank slate. Where, incoming chairman Colin Graves will come on to him in a moment's time and also Tom Harrison as chief exec Um, you know how do how do they recapture maybe that the public's imagination like they did in the 2005 Ashes series?
0: Uh, By winning by winning the Ashes this summer um, and that's going to be a pretty stern task for for the players Um, you know ultimately it's very important for English cricket to move on from the, the Kevin Peterson situation, you know, that that threatens to kind of envelop everything at the moment. And the story is becoming more of a distraction than actually him playing or not. You know, it's become that big. Um, and, you know, the ECB and England's team's efforts to move on from him haven't worked so far. And, and that's because basically they've lost too many cricket matches. And so by winning, it allows them to move forward. Um, you know, I, I think it's gonna. Uh, th- there's always that kind of knee jerk reaction when you when you play poorly in a world cup that everything has to change and we need to look at everything anyone who's any in any sort of position of power and say, uh, he needs to go. You know, I think there's now's a the time for just some strategic planning. Uh, you know, ultimately, the England cr- cricket team. And those around that have been fighting fires non-stop for, for at least 12 months now, probably uh, getting on to 18 months. Um, that's not healthy. They've got to start taking control of the agenda and moving the team forward.
2: We're now in a situation where they have three captains again. Um, you were the first captain to to end up in that situation where you were test captain, then you had Alistair Cook as one-day captain and Stuart Broad as T20 captain. Um, You'd retired from ODI cricket, so that was kind of your your choice. Is that a healthy scenario to be in, or not? Well, look, I think in an ideal world, no. Uh,
0: you have you have one captain for all formats, but it's a it's a dose of realism. I mean, the amount of cricket that we play, I personally think there should be more um, more specialization uh, with players focusing either on Test cricket or One Day cricket. Um, you know it's a very difficult job the England captain's job and uh, to keep doing it for an extended period of time we only have to look at how England captains in the past how that affected their form uh, myself included and and I think that's part of the reason that Alistair Cook's got himself into the situation he has got himself into so I quite like the fact that the the one-day captain at the moment is a specialist one-day player I think too often we've kind of used it as a as a rehearsal for the test job at some stage. Um, uh, so I- I'm not unhappy with the format we've got at the moment. Um, but, you know, the captain doesn't win games of cricket. It's up to the players to go out and perform.
2: I'd like to bring in some more questions from Twitter on that, on the captaincy. Um, we've got three questions here, so I'll ask them all in one go. But, um, Ashley Watson asks, do you think the criticism of Cook is getting harsh considering he has 25 test tonnes? Ian Thorburn says, will Alistair Cook be England captain at the end of the summer? And Stephen Olive says, how long in your considered opinion is Alistair Cook's position tenable? So there's clearly, there is pressure on Cook at the moment. There's no doubt about that and he knows it. Um, I mean, how do you assess that? And as a former captain, how did you deal with that pressure? Uh, Well, look, the
0: the pressure is always on as England captain. And and I think... uh, as an England captain, you can you can avoid a, a measure of pressure if you're either scoring runs yourself or the team's winning or both. But if if the team's not winning and you're not scoring runs, then your place is going to come under a lot of scrutiny very quickly. Alistair Cook understands that situation. Um, the only way out of it for him is to find a way of either winning matches or scoring runs himself. and And I think... I know him as a person. I know him as a player. He, he, I'm absolutely certain he's going to score runs this summer. You know, I, I think he he's overdue. He's a good enough player to bounce back from what he's been through. Um, but uh, you know, ultimately, if he doesn't and England lose the Ashes, then you know the, the betting is against him. I, I can't see how he'd be able to keep his position if that was the case.
2: And Lawrence, your thoughts on, on the pressure on Cook at the moment? Because it is yeah. the England captaincy, it's one of those. I mean, I, I can't remember. There was one journalist that once said that the England captaincy and the, being the football manager of the national England side are the two toughest jobs in English sport. So it's, yeah, I,
1: I, f- I feel for him. He has to face up to, uh, to, uh, to us, line the press every, every self, and explain himself. I remember with, with Andrew, actually, there was a the press conference in Gaul a few years ago, and England had just lost their fourth test in Iraq thinks things that come after the 3-0 in Pakistan. I think the, maybe the second question in the press conference was, Andrew, do you think you've taken this team as far as it can go? And it was like, wow, he's, he's only lost four tests and he, just because he hasn't scored a few runs. I mean, it is a, it's an unforgiving media. It's a competitive media. Um, but they, they hold the players to account. Perhaps the players feel we, we go too far at times. But the, the facts are there. Cook hasn't scored a, an international 100 for 59 innings. And everyone in English cricket wants him to succeed. Everyone wants the Ashes back and the captain scoring runs, um, if England lose the Ashes again, yeah, that that's going to be tough for Cook. And and talking about
2: media and press conferences, I think every time that Alistair Cook gets asked about Kevin Peterson, it's just, mm. it's, it just seems to be hovering around the England side. Is it, is it something... I mean, Lawrence, when do you think the Kevin Peterson situation will go away? I mean, obviously time, with time it will, because... He's going to get older. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah. in all seriousness, when, you know, when does this narrative and this story finish? Or does well, it
1: not? Well, Andrew said it a few minutes ago, when England start winning regularly, then, then it stops, really. They can't afford to lose in the West Indies. If they do that, then a couple of heads may roll. And if Peterson is back home in England scoring, runs for Surrey, I mean, a couple of factors. Those to England need to... For Peterson to get back in the team, it's a tiny chance. But if England keep losing... Peter's scoring runs, but he also has to sort of mend the bridges he's burnt with various people, not just people in the dressing room, but various um, administrators. So it'll take uh, a lot to get him back in the team, but if England are winning, um, the story becomes quieter.
0: I I think also, you know, if you look at it from pure cricketing kind of logic, after this Ashes is over, it's quite hard to, to see a situation where Kevin Peterson... It would come back into the side because you're building towards the next Ashes in two and a half years' time. You're building towards the next World Cup in 2019. You know, I think if you were to bring Kevin Peterson back, it would be a short-term measure to help you win the Ashes. Um, I can't see that happening, personally, because there's just too many bridges to build in too short a period of time. Uh, but I think after the Ashes, that the story does move forward somewhat.
2: Time does ultimately start running out at that point. Right, now, incoming ECB chairman Colin Graves has stated that he personally would like to look at making test matches four days long. He was speaking to me during the Champion County match in Abu Dhabi last month. His comments caused lots of headlines and discussion. Before we discuss this, let's listen to exactly what Graves said.
1: Personally, I I think we should look at uh, four-day test cricket. Personally, I would play 105 overs a day starting at half past ten in the morning with all all the facilities we've got now, the ground drainage. You could then finish it whenever you finish it. Every ground's got lights. Uh, so you play four days, 105 overs. Every test match would start on a Thursday. So you have two days corporate, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday, Sunday, families. Um, from a, certainly from a cost point of view, uh, you'd save that fifth day, which would save a hell of a lot of money, both from the ground's point of view, the broadcaster's point of view, And when you look at it in reality, there's not many test matches where people turn up and watch it, even on the fifth day. So if you look at it in real terms, from a cost point of view, entertainment point of view, production point of view, there's a lot of pluses. So to me, I would look at that.
2: It seems to make a lot of sense when you listen to him there. Uh, What are the drawbacks?
1: Well, the English weather's a big drawback. Um, If you lose one day of test cricket, you're suddenly looking at a three-day test. I, I hear what he says about 105 overs... Uh, the other tra- the problem is that teams barely get through 90 overs these days in test cricket they're always using the extra half hour and even th- even then they don't always get there so someone would have to be the match referee would have to be very strict on over rates 10:30 starts, does that load it too much in favor of the toss um especially late on in the season i don't know perhaps even early on in the season but the old natwest final in september 10:30 you, you didn't want to lose that toss um I think those are the you also lose things like the, the the deteriorating fifth day pitch. I know pitches don't deteriorate as much as they used to, but that was always a factor, wasn't it? You you might pick your side with a thought to unleashing your spinner or two spinners on the last day. So the, the the nature of the game would change. Um so it it's not a totally ridiculous idea. I just think there are things that need to be thought through.
0: Yeah, I think from my point of view on the playing side, it's a massive ask to ask players to play 105 overs in a day. If you think about uh, how mentally and physically you're exhausted at the end of 90 overs, to add another uh, 15 overs on top of that, I, I think you would find there'd be more dead cricket in the middle where your seamers can't bowl, your fifth bowl will be bowling. Um, I'm not convinced it jazzes. I, I don't think it... I can understand it from a commercial point of view, definitely, from an actual test cricket being a better product to watch. I'm not convinced that is the case. So... Um, I think let's look at ways of improving Test cricket, and, and I think providing a context for for Test matches is a massive part of that. Whether it's a World Test Championship or another way of providing context, is is absolutely crucial. Uh, I think we saw the World Cup, didn't we? The difference between a fifty-over cricket when it when there is context and there's a World Cup on the line, to a kind of a, a sort of bog standard fit five one-day international series at the end of an English summer or whatever the difference in the product was incredible and we don't have that showcase event for test cricket and at a time where test cricket is increasingly becoming marginalised we run the risk
2: of it becoming more and more of a sideshow. And one of the things Graves said he'd like to see is Thursday starts for every test I mean obviously commercially that might not work so well with T V scheduling, but we did see last year that the the test match at Southampton starting on a Sunday wasn't really ideal.
1: Yeah, I mean it used to be the case that all tests started on a Thursday and, and people knew that Thursday was was Test match day. Now um you don't know what day a test is going to start and that's partly a function of trying to squeeze all these games in and playing back to back tests and so on. Um I I take Colin's point about the the dead fifth day. Um David Lloyd Bumble thinks that you should make the fifth day free um, and just use it as a chance to get people in there, uh, and I think that there's, there's some sense to that as well.
2: Great stuff. Well, I'd like just before we come on to the to the podcast to finish off. Uh, there's a few more questions for you, Andrew, on the Twitter sphere. So, thanks for sending these in. Um, Charlie Cook would like to ask, how does the set setup go about moving forward and getting to number one? And Sandipan Banerjee says, do you feel Morgan is the right man to lead England in ODIs? I know you've kind of answered those two questions already in the podcast, but if you just come back to those? Sure,
0: yeah. Well, certainly on the the Morgan issue, I I definitely think he deserves a good run at it. Um, He's an exciting cricketer. He's a one-day specialist. And I I think he'll have some pretty strong ideas as to how to take the England one-day team forward. Uh, So I think he is the right man for the, the current environment. In terms of how do England get go about moving back to number one Um, I think they need to identify uh, a style of cricket that they want to play, they need to commit to it they need to get a uh, they need to work a lot on the environment and they ultimately need more confident players so how the, the environment hopefully will breed that but Uh, winning will also breed that so you know none of this is rocket science i don't think it's about going completely off piste and trying to rip up everything that's been done in the past but you do need some some calm people under a a kind of firestorm of pressure at the moment
2: a couple of questions here on nasa saying i don't think you seem to go anywhere without being asked this question especially when you come to lord's Um, do you constantly remind Nasser about the debut run out that's from Joseph and what did Nasser say to you after he ran you out from Kieran Whitehouse Um, well Nasser's never apologised for a thing in his life
0: so I think he 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 admonished me for not backing up enough even though clearly there was no run there um, you know I I think I'd like to say I've moved on from it but I'm not sure that's strictly true (laughs) you know Um, it still hurts me a little bit um uh, but we have a bit of banter about it. You know, I think thankfully, you know, this wasn't a kind of a one-off piece for him. He was he was famed around both the international and the county circuit for uh, both the number of runouts he'd been involved in and the very, very few times that he'd been the one that was run out. So um, any stick he gets, he thoroughly deserves.
2: <laughs> Lovely. Um, the last few questions, uh, I presume that they've all come in from parents, um, so bit of tips and advice for young cricketers growing up. Um, Paul Jones says, my son is a left-handed batsman. Uh, What advice would you give him for driving a bowler who bowls round the wicket and swings it? So I guess you'll have to know which way he's swinging it. But if there's a a right arm round the wicket coming to you as a left-handed batsman, what advice do you have for setting up to face that?
0: Uh, Well, generally, when they did that to me, I got out. So I'm not (laughs) sure I'm the person to answer that. I I think... uh, Really important to, to think about squaring your stance up. So wherever the ball's coming from, you need to be square too. As left-handers, we tend to be quite open when, when right-armers are coming over the wicket. When they come round the wicket, it's a vastly different angle and you've got to square your stance
2: up to, to be able to deal with that. A uh, question from Kieran. A uh, question from, from her son. Uh, how does one become a better cricketer? Or maybe what advice do you have for a young cricketer? Um, you become a better cricketer by
0: learning from your mistakes, actually. You know, I think there's a lot of talk about drilling and hitting thousands of balls and 10,000 hours and all that sort of stuff. I think cricket, you learn from playing. So when you make a mistake, uh, remember your thought process when you made it. Uh, remember the type of bowling. Remember the conditions. Make sure you don't make the same mistake
2: twice. And the final question from David Lear. Which cricket book would you suggest to a developing 13-year-old cricketer? Um,
0: well, I think anyone who's, who's got any sort of captaincy aspirations, The, the Art of Captaincy by Mike Brill is still one of the, the great books as far as I'm concerned. Um, and a real insight to the mind of, a, of one of England's greatest captains. Um, but it also allows you to think about the game of cricket in a different way as well. So if I'd want to recommend, that would be it.
1: And Lawrence is editor of Wisdom. Crikey. Well, apart from Wisdom, you mean? Um <laughs> Yes. The Art of Sea, perhaps you should read some some humorous books Marcus Burton and rain men get gets to grips with the sort of dynamics of um, of useless cricketers like most of us um, but yeah, really you wouldn't go far wrong great stuff now to finish um we've got the lords podcast podcast quiz
2: um this month's got a slight wisdom theme to it i'll just quickly explain the rules there's not much knowledge that comes into this basically i'm going to ask you. Um, about a cricketer and a non-cricketer and all you have to do is tell me which one is older and you're going up against each other so I'll give you that and then it's the best out of five so um, Andrew as is tradition the, the player or ex-player always goes first and Lawrence you go second so um, one of five Wizard Cricketers of the Year Moen Ali, or international acclaimed pop star Rihanna Andrew who is older I am going to go for Moen Alley
1: Does that mean I have to go for Rihanna? You can go for the same one. We can draw. I'd go for Moeen Ali as well.
2: Rihanna is older by a few months. So it's a a nil-nil there. On to the second one, Lawrence. Who is older? Nasser Hussain, who was Wizarding Cricketer in 2003, or
1: Cameron Diaz? I know who looks older. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, well perhaps the, the answers are surprising when well, I go Cameron Diaz
0: oh, I'm going to have to go with NASA.
2: NASA is indeed older yeah. by a full five years, five years <laughs>
0: <laughs> poor
2: Cameron <laughs> <laughs> she must be gutted that was a trick question so 1-0 to you Andrew um, third question who is older? Gary Ballant who is of course Wisdom Cricketer of the Year this year or the singer Adele?
0: Adele's album came out when she was 21. I think I'm going Adele. Just.
1: I think I was going to say that, but I'm one nil down with three to play, um, so I might have to give the opposite answer. Gary Balance. We've gone two nil down. Go it is Adele nil.
2: by one year. She's 26. Balance is 25. All right. Um, who is older? Jeffrey Boycott this is you Lawrence to go yep. first or Alan Bennett is this the last one? no there's one more to oh, okay. because right. he drew the first one okay, so
1: it's 2-0 Boycott or Bennett this is a must win by the way this is a must win well you can just give the same answer if you want yeah. mm. thank mm. you yeah. good <laughs> strategy it's a strategy England needs yeah, exactly. right now defensive <laughs> um, I won't make any comment about your captaincy um, I'll go for uh, Boycott
0: uh, can you repeat the question please so boycott or Alan Bennett Alan Bennett uh, I will go just to to keep you happy I'll go
2: Alan Bennett it is Alan Bennett yeah by oh, a full six go. years this is a fix <laughs> well I've put a bonus question in here just as a uh, to give you a chance to get back into it Lawrence even though I don't think you can now uh, boycott was 1965 wisdom cricketer of the year there was four others if you can name one of them Uh
1: was MJK Smith one of them? No. That's, that's bad. I should know all these things. Uh, 65, um, It's been
2: 152 editions. It's five each edition. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I give you the who? Yeah? Shepard? No. It was Peter Burge, Jack Flavel, Graham McKenzie, or Bob Simpson. Great. Well, the answers. Well, just to finish off, anyway. Yeah, um, <laughs> final final one. Andrew, you used to go first. Who is older? Wisdom Cricket of the Year from 2005, Andrew Strauss, no conferring, or the current Wisdom editor, Lawrence Booth? Oh, good question. Um,
0: well, Lawrence Booth's got to be older, sure. <laughs> <laughs> he's editor of wisdom he's got me at least 20 years older than me he's the youngest any, editor
1: any reasonable person looking at us would would probably say Andrew but I, I don't know I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think when the age was when I started getting older than cricketers which was not so long ago um, I think Andrew might be just fractionally older it's you Lawrence by, by a couple of years
2: thank oh god. <laughs> god for that <laughs> So 4-0 to you, Andrew. Very well played. Um, well, just to finish, Sean, uh, I'd like to ask her, what, what have you got coming up over the next few few weeks? Um, just looking forward to the start
0: of the English cricket season. I think my my first uh, commentary gig with Sky is, is England versus Ireland in Dublin, which should be a good night out. Um, and then a very busy international programme. So I'm looking forward to it. To, to every Ashes summer is an exciting one. This one's no different Um Let's hope he can get back to winning ways. And Lawrence?
1: Um, I'll be in Dublin as well. Um, I'm taking a little holiday in Switzerland. Um, a few nice. days. I need to take my holidays before the cricket season starts. A bit of county cricket, might be following a certain um, KP around, see how he's getting on with Surrey. And then uh, it'll be into the, the one-day internationals, um, or is it the test first against New Zealand? It's probably the test, isn't it? So, yeah, looking forward to it very much. Good stuff. Well, many thanks for both coming on. I hope, hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks very so much.
2: Cheers, just, uh, thank you. Well, many thanks for tuning in all. We'll be back next month with more cricketing stories from Lords. So remember to follow us on Twitter, our handles at Homer Cricket. Be our friend on Facebook. And for all the latest news from Lords, just go to lords.org. See you soon.